Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, rules, history, and cool stuff. And today I have a special treat because I'm an interview with Ralph Kais, the author of a fascinating new book that I've been enjoying called The Hidden History of Coined Words. It has wonderful stories about you know, hundreds, maybe a thousand words um, and where they came from. And it's just a delight. So, Ralph, thank you for being here with me today. Delighted to be with you, Mignon. Yeah. So this, I was so excited when I received um, the book in the mail and started leafing through it. And I just knew immediately it was something I was going to love because there are sort of, you know, multi-page stories about the origins of words, but also, you know, quick hits all throughout too. The first one you have to tell me about is the origin of scientist because I used to be a scientist and I was incredibly surprised when I read um, that entry in your book. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. In 1833, a group in England, the uh, Royal Association for the Advancement of Science, met and wondered what word could they come up with that would cover all of them, you know, physicists, chemists, geologists, etc. And they batted around words like... um, Nature future is a German <laughs> word, <laughs> but it means nature, nature poker. And they thought, <laughs> mm, that might subject, people might laugh at that one. So that was out. Then they thought about savan, S-A-V-A-N-S, but that was French. So that wasn't going to work. Uh, and they thought of natural philosopher was appropriate, but a bit of a mouthful. So then one of their members, the master of Trinity College, Cambridge, a a, uh, polymath named William Wewell, suggested scientist. Now, he wasn't serious. He was just kidding. Scientists get it like atheist or journalist or tobacconist (laughs) or seolist, which meant someone who tried to pretend to know things but didn't. And so everybody got a good laugh out of that scientist, ha, 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 and went on to the next idea. Well, that should have been that, but then Mr. We- Dr. Wewell, or I don't know if he was a doctor or not, William Wewell wrote a book in 1840 where he brought it up again, uh, this time a little more seriously, and he got a lot of blowback. What a terrible word, scientist. I, you know, one luminary after another dismissed it as, as still a bit of a joke. But uh, the public kind of liked it, and it caught on. And voila, we still use it today. That's such a surprise. It, it seems now like such a serious, important word that it never would have occurred to me that it was originally a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Nor me till I read about that meeting of the Royal Association. But I mean, that's a common path that words take. They start out as jokes uh, and then become um, serious words. Like, what am I thinking about? Uh, Software was originally just a joke of a word, you know, like (laughs) an antimen of hardware, you know, poke in the ribs, chuckle, software, get it? Uh, (laughs) And now, of course, it's standard brand. Uh, They're just one word after another that began as a joke, uh, but ended up as a serious word. I noticed that, too, as I was reading through it. I think today we think of people who want to coin words and are are serious when they 
you propose a new word, and so many of the words in your book um, came about either accidentally, unintentionally, or a lot of times as a joke or even as an insult. Um, the one, the one that was that that surprised me was um, the paintings, the impressionists, which you know we think of as a serious important group of artists and and that name why don't you tell the story of where that name came from isn't that fascinating in 1874 an exhibit was mounted of artists who weren't who were considered sort of beyond the pale in paris Uh, and this included degas Cezanne, renoir monet and their paintings were not literal like paintings were supposed to be at the time. They just had daubs and brushstrokes and bright colors, lots of light. And a critic, an art critic named Louis Leroy, just ridiculed in his review. He said, these are not paintings. They're just impressions. The the people who painted them are not artists. They're impressionists. And he thought he was blowing him out of the water with this insult of a word, ha, 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 impressionist. Well, lo and behold, the, the artists themselves liked it and began to call themselves impressionists. The school of uh, painting that they were part of became known as impressionism. And today it's a very respectable and admired word. Right. It's, it's almost the opposite of the beatniks um, the, that was also put out as a, not necessarily quite a serious word, but the people, they didn't adopt it. They hated it, right? Oh, the, the, okay. So Jack, Jack Kerouac, one of the leading uh, avant-garde poets of his time said that he was part of a beat generation, that they were beats. So then a columnist in the San Francisco Chronicle, just in passing, he didn't think of it as a serious word, just in passing said, well, these are beatniks. Now, at the time, uh, Sputnik, the satellite, the Russian satellite, had just gone up in space, and Nick was kind of a a popular suffix, um, you know, peacenik, etc. But so he called them beatniks. They hated it. Uh, <laughs> the, the beatnik, the ones we call beatniks now hated it. Uh, one deli uh, in the North Beach of San Francisco in response said, everyone welcome except Herb Cain. Uh, so that that was how that one was received. But Because uh, he was the one who, co- who coined that phrase, that, that term, right? Th- yeah, exactly. The column, he was a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. And he had coined the term beatnik. And, the you know, those he called beatniks just didn't like that term at all. They thought it was degrading and insulting. But we it was picked up immediately by the public, and we still use it. But it turned out he didn't love it either, right? Herb Cain? Right, no. I thought he did. Yeah, he didn't like the board either that much. No, he said, I didn't. <laughs> I was just... <laughs> I, I was just using that in passing. I didn't mean that to to be used to be taken seriously. But you know, it's very common for um, people who coin words to then regret it. I call it coiner's remorse. <laughs> uh, you know, like when um, Alan Greenspan, for example, the Secretary of the Treasury, said we were in a period of irrational exuberance, and that got picked right up. It became the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Well. 
10 years later, when Terry Gross had him on Fresh Air, she asked him how he felt about coining that phrase, and Greenspan sighed and said, I wished I hadn't. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's uh, not uncommon at all that that people uh, end up. Uh, Thomas Kuhn, for example, who coined uh, a paradigm shift, uh, paradigm and paradigm shift for ways uh, schools of thinking change over time, uh, got picked up all over the place. There's even a band called Paradigm Shift now. And he was just uh, horrified and wished, said he wished he had used exemplar instead of paradigm. Maybe it wouldn't have been so misused. But, you know, who wants to talk about exemplars? And would we have an exemplar shift if uh, Dr. Kuhn had used that term instead of paradigm? Right. One thing that you mentioned that that made a lot of sense is if a word is fun to say or sounds nice, it's much more likely to to become a hit. Uh, I think was mugwumps was was that one of them? Yeah, mugwump. Uh, now, mugwump. I, I just love that word. Why? <laughs> why can't? We, why isn't it still in use? Maybe it'll get revived after this conversation. Um, <laughs> So mugwam, that began as an Indian word, Algonquian, for a a, a very important figure. Uh, And they were called mugquamps, mugquamps. So the settlers picked it up and began to call their own leaders mugquamps. And then over in 1884, during the presidential race, a bunch of a bunch of Republicans, excuse me, uh, bolted from their party to support the Democratic candidate, Grover Cleveland, and the New York Sun newspaper taunted them as little mugwumps, mugwumps. <laughs> uh, so mugwumps got picked right up, including by the mugwumps themselves, to mean a political outlier, uh, somebody who's independent, uh, who goes their own way, mug, is a mugwump. And that lasted for decades. I think a lot because it was just so much fun to say. Uh, any right. a, a coin word that's fun to say has a has a lot better chance of of being adopted and and uh, becoming a permanent part of the lexicon than one that's boring to say. Yeah. So you mentioned um, the popularizing of words. So I think we'll we'll take a quick break for our sponsor here, and then when we come back, we'll talk about some people who were extraordinary popularizers of words. Uh, we'll be right back. So we're back. So we've talked about some of the interesting words and in particular in the book, but you also have a section on people who just coined an extraordinary number of words or at least popularized them. And I think everyone thinks of Shakespeare, but um, there's there are many others. So Milton was one of them. Can you talk about how prolific Milton was at creating words, but also making some more popular? Sure. John Milton, the poet. Uh, was prolific in coining words. He, he coined hundreds and hundreds of them. It's not always clear when a word is original, so we can't put a number, a specific number, but it was well into the hundreds. He's one of the favorite word coiners among etymologists, people who take a serious interest in coined words. Uh, just a few examples, advantage, complacency, damp, dismissive, fragrance, jubilant, obtrusive, terrific, 
the list goes on and on. He was one of the major contributors of new words to the English language, beloved among uh, etymologists for that reason. And how do, how, do, how do they determine whether he created a word or just maybe heard a word um, on the street and, and used it and then made it more popular? You know, it's almost impossible to tell because that happens all the time that someone will hear a word on the street and then plunk it into a piece of writing or use it in their own conversation and then get credit for it. So I'm sure that happened with Milton, but it's also scholars have determined in one case after another how he was able to put suffixes on words or prefixes. You know, he would take the word impassive, and for example, and just put a, he would take the word passive, excuse me, and put an IM in front and get impassive. He would take dimension and he would put L-E-S-S at the end and, and get dimensionless. Uh, and this is just, he, he was just incredibly inventive. Uh, one time he, he, did, he, he got a twofer. He coined <laughs> obtrusive. Okay. Then he doubled up with unobtrusive. So he got <laughs> nice. two words out of one, cor- one coinage. <laughs> uh, Dickens is another one we think of. I tend to think of him most, for, well, mostly for his character names, his, his wonderful character names, but he also seems to have invented, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand words in the English language. Yes. Um, Okay, so the eponyms, Pecksniffian, Scroogeish, Macabre-esque, we all know about those. But people who have studied original use of words uh, by Dickens have found um, hundreds of them. So, for example, uh, he just and he and in a very simple way, he he added less to care for careless. He added mm-hmm. less to penny for penniless. Uh, he, but then he went on to do kind of silly things like fireworkless or conversationalist, less uh, theater, less n- not so good. But but then <laughs> <laughs> the other ones that I mentioned earlier, we we still use penniless, um, careless, etc. Very common words. Yeah, I guess if you want to play with words and and maybe have a chance of of coining your own, look at those prefixes and suffixes and start there. It seems right. like the the training wheels for uh, creating words. Yeah, he gave us unchangeable, unapproachable, unholy, and then by adding al to, for example, arrive, he got arrival. Adding al to aspiration, he got aspirational. That's wonderful. Well, before we go, the the one was I was going through the book. It's just a tour de force. I mean, the number of words in here, the people. I, I did this take you three decades to write? How did that, how did this book come about? I want to hear about your research. Thank you for thank you for asking, Minyan. This book this book about did me, and I I, I submitted my proposal for. It. I had written an article in 2013 for the American Scholar on coin words, and then I expanded that into a book idea, submitted a proposal that was accepted in 2015. So here we are, six years later, the book's finally out, and I've about had it. I'm about done in. It was a very, very challenging book to write. 
uh, just the, the kind of research it took, confirming things. Etymologists are very um, scrutinizing uh, of attempts to say what words are original and what aren't. So I tried to dot all my I's and cross all my T's and uh, mind my etymological P's and Q's, uh, which incidentally is a phrase nobody's ever been able to figure out where it came from, P's and Q's. I I know, it's one of my favorites. Oh, isn't it a great phrase? But who knows where it came from. But anyway, so it took me quite some time to write, to do the research, to write it, to rewrite it. I'm kind of a fussy writer, and I I rewrite 10, 20, 30, 40 drafts uh, typically for my books. Good heavens. (laughs) Well, I believe it because it it came together so nicely and it it looks like you've written about 20 books is is book writing essentially your full-time job or you, you have a professorship somewhere too How, what well, do we, tell us a little more about I've, you I've done, it's basically all i've ever done that in articles and essays since 19 published my first book in 1973 with we the lonely people and then followed that with Is There Life After High School, about high school memories in 1976, which eventually became a Broadway musical that still gets produced um, uh, here in other countries. Uh, my best-known book is probably The Courage to Write, about how, how to deal with writing fears. But it's a total, 17 books total, and it's basically all I've ever done. I've done a little teaching. I do some speaking, but book writing is basically my my career. Are you working on something new right now? No. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so. Well, this you should spend some more time uh, promoting this because it is a treasure, and I think people are going to love it. It's called The Hidden History of Coined Words by Ralph Kyes. That's K-E-Y-E-S. Thank you so much, Ralph, for being here with me today. Thank you, Mignon. It's been a pleasure. 